Well, hey, everybody. Good to have you here with us tonight. It is uh, March 1st. Um, we tried to hit that fourth Sunday of uh, the month of February, but fell into March 1st. So here we go. And happy March 1st, I guess. Um, came out of uh, a crazy, crazy year last year. And it feels like this year's just moving really quick, too. January, February, March 3rd, month of 2021. That's crazy. Uh, I thank you so much for being a part of what's going on here. You can always email us at church.ahistory at gmail.com. That's church.ahistory at gmail.com. Um, love to get your questions. In fact, we have we received a lot of questions um, about this topic that we're talking about. We're finishing up tonight. And um, I think the reason we have gotten a lot of questions is it's not just a historical event. It is a historical event with a very, very meaty, weighty kind of uh, theological thing that's kind of at the center of it. And we say here at Church History um, Podcast that what we do is we um, we try to identify one historical um, event, time, something that's going on, then also look into scripture and then make at least one theological statement. And uh, that's what we're always trying to do. But this specific uh, topic is um, extremely important. There are, um, there are major theological things that we have to agree on as Christians, and there's kind of those minor ones that um, we argue back and forth about. This is key. Um, we talked about last time we got together that what is being discussed in the Arian controversy and what will be discussed into the Council of Nicaea is, who is Jesus? Was he created or is he God as God? Okay, Is he as one with God together of one substance or is there the Father God that created Jesus. And this is ma massive ramifications because if Jesus was created, he is, although he is the first above all creation, he is still part of creation, which negates the fact that he is sovereign and he is God. So what's happening is these church leaders are struggling with this. How do we view Jesus? So together they view Jesus as as God's son who came and lived a, a spotless life without sin, died, and then rose again on the third day. But in the same way, it's what do we do with the relationship between God the Father? Because he's praying to his Father in the Gospels. He talks about his Father. He says uh, things such as, no one knows this except for the Father. So what do we do with that? So there's two groups of people, two groups of leaders, two specific leaders that began to argue about this, both in Alexandria, which was a major thought bubble, thought place in the ancient world. And again, kind of bringing back, and I encourage you to listen to part one if you haven't, of um, the Aaron Controversy and the Council of Nicaea, which is this, this podcast, this dual podcast, two-part podcast. Um, this was a time where persecution had stopped. The church was able to grow within the confines of the Roman Empire, but church leadership, different churches in specific cities began to grow. 
And this controversy began before the reign of Constantine. But when Constantine became the emperor, this controversy had grown to a place where it needed to be dealt with. And the reason Constantine wanted to deal with it was Constantine was the first Christian emperor. I know I'm backtracking a little bit here, but it's important to know kind of what's going on. So Constantine becomes a Christian because as he goes into battle as part of a civil war, he sees a sign on which he believes that God has appeared to him and is going to help him win the victory to be the emperor of both the western and the eastern portion of the empire. And he becomes a very powerful emperor. Makes, he makes very, uh, several interesting moves. He, he takes Christianity and makes it the, the, uh, the, the religion of the entire empire, so you must be Christian, which is a complete turnaround from um, his predecessors who were tossing Christians to lions. He also does something interesting. He takes, he says, I don't want Rome to be the uh, capital anymore, so I'm going to go over here and found a new city called Constantinople. Constantinople will eventually fall and become Istanbul. Um, so it's, we, we kind of, we'll, we can get into kind of the geography of that later, but it's east, and east it's east from Rome and Italy, and up near, up near Turkey modern-day Turkey, and what happens is Constantine wants there to be unified peace in the empire. And right at that moment is when this controversy comes to a head. The controversy had kind of come to a head in a local way in Alexandria between Alexander of Alexandria and Arius, these two individuals. And Arius was saying that Jesus was created. He wasn't the same as God. He was the son of God, but he was, came from God, but was not God. Alexander said this is not permissible within our theology. So they became head-to-head opponents on this. And it began to be a problem as bishops, leaders in the church, and these bishops would pick a side and there'd be problems. So um, Constantine says, we have to do something about this. Something has to be done. And what he does is he decides to have a council. So he's going to pull together all the leaders of the church. And he's going to put them together into a room, and he is going to lead them. He's going to take an unprecedented stand by actually being there at this event, and he's going to lead them as they work through this with hopes that they would come to a solution, um, a creed, something so they could lead, go back and lead their churches in a way where Christianity continues to be unified. So uh, here we are. Um, the year was 325, and uh, these bishops were called to Nicaea. 
And this would actually be called the first ecumenical council. And by ecumenical, what that means is that it was universal. And we know now that doesn't really mean everyone for sure in the universe, but it wasn't like all the church leaders around the world were there, but at that time of who they knew were there. And we don't know exactly how many bishops that Constantine pulled together, but it seems like um, it was close to 318. Multiple sources said 318, 318 um, bishops were brought, but as some scholars say, that's not necessarily uh, true. And it was interesting that um, it was just an interesting um, uh, time to gather together. I mean, imagine this. Imagine that there's bishops, church leaders from all over the known Roman world. They come together, and some of them that were older literally would have had, um, like, wounds, not wounds, scars. They would have scars, broken bones. Some had to be wheeled in because of the persecution they endured under the predecessors of Constantine. So that would have been a kind of a beautiful moment of, it would have been euphoric, actually. All these church leaders coming together and being able to meet and talk about theology without being under the threat of the sword. And Constantine was very involved in getting everyone there that he could. Uh, the empire paid for the, uh, um, the bishops that were not able to financially come on their own. Um, he sent emissaries, and, and, and his, his, his influence was to get as many there as possible. Um. And, and it was just interesting that we have this situation so quickly where there are bishops who have, were persecuted, families, family members killed, friends, uh, people that they knew killed, and here they were gathered at Nicaea by the emperor of the empire that had persecuted them. I mean, imagine they were looking around at each other, and for the first time, they probably were realizing the extent how far the gospel had gone. There was a man named Eusebius of Caesarea, and there's actually there's a couple Eusebiuses that we're going to talk about. This is the less important one, but just to give credit where credit is due. As I said, he said he was there. This Eusebius said he was there. So he writes in his Life of Constantine. This um, is his account. There were gathered the most distinguished ministers of God from the many churches in Europe, Libya, Africa, and Asia. A single house of prayer, as if enlarged by God, sheltered Syrians, Sicilians, Phoenicians, and Arabs, delegates from Palestine, from Egypt, Thebians, and Libyans, together with those from Mesopotamia. There was also a Persian bishop, a Scythian, was not lacking. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, they sent their most outstanding bishops jointly with those from the remotest areas of Thrace, Macedonia, Acadia, and Spain. And from Spain, there was a great man from great fame, Hoyasis of Cordoba, who sat, at the, who sat as a member of the great assembly. 
The bishop of the imperial city Rome could not attend due to his advanced age, but he was represented by his presbyters. Constantine is the first ruler of all to have gathered such a garland in the bond of peace and to have presented it to his Savior as an offering of gratitude for the victories he had won over all his enemies. And even in that, we hear that Constantine is kind of mushing together his desire for Christianity to be unified and also the empire, which is not exactly the same thing, which the empire is not the same as Christianity, that the empire would also be unified. And even in his unification of the church, he saw that as one of his great achievements. So almost the civil wars that he had won had brought not only the the empire together, west and east, but also a religion together to code the empire as well. So we want to keep going back to, as we look at what happens as these men get together, we need to continue to understand that there's this... um, there's this piece of this that is political as well. And I want to pull out that that is always, we're going to see in this story, because it's going to take a turn that I think will be, um, you won't see it coming. Okay, so we got these guys together. They're going to talk about this issue. Is is Jesus created or is he not created? And some of you may say, well, obviously we know where this is going to go. Um, But the story will take a turn. And it will take a turn, not because these men change their mind about what they collectively come to agreement about, at least the majority of them. It will change because of the political ramifications of certain decisions that take place after this council takes place. So that's something that I want to make sure we understand. In fact, Constantine, as I mentioned before, he's there. He doesn't pop in and out. Um, It's actually said that Nicaea is very close to Constantinople where Constantine would have been. And and even even in the geographic pick of where this council will be, there's this kind of feeling that Constantine is going to bring them together. You're not... You're going to have your own little space to talk about this. And this is a little town where you're going to talk about this. but, But I want you to know that I'm still in charge, and at any moment, I could step in there and take things over. Okay, so we're, I'm going to let you be over here, but you're also super close to the capital, so I can step in. That's almost like a visual, a this is how this is probably going to be. And then and then also what we see is, is Constantine does insert himself into this. Not only does he sit and watch and say, hey, come on, guys, let's all get along. He actually introduces some of the language that then is put into... Um, the theology that the theological creeds that come out of this meeting of bishops. Um, so it's very important that we understand that there are all those things at play. It's not just one thing or the other. So if you could just imagine, this would have been like a euphoric situation. Um, I mean, all these bishops coming together, and they discussed a lot of different things. They discussed um, different procedures for the remission of the lapse. Those were those who had denied Christ under the under the persecution of the of the emperor, the empire, and for the election and ordination of presbyters and bishops. So how are we going to get our pastors? And for establishing the order of 
precedence of the various Episcopal sees. Okay, which means they were talking about, you know, how do we how do we get what does church leadership mean? What does it do if we have like an edict? How do we get it to the other churches? Okay. They also decreed that bishops, presbyters, and deacons could not move from one city to another. It's kind of interesting. So one of the things they came together with is they said, as far as church leadership is concerned, you can't leave one place and go to another place. They had different reasons for that. Can you imagine if that's how it was now? There's rarely you have a pastor or leader who stays like for his entire life. So a pastor or leader, you have to stay there. But actually it's interesting because that very quickly, like within a generation, that was completely ignored. But really the most difficult thing that they had to face is what we were talking about, the Aryan issue or the Aryan controversy issue. Now there was a bishop by the name of Eusebius of Nicomedia. Eusebius of Nicomedia. Now, don't get him like uh, confused. I actually used a quote earlier about from a guy named Eusebius of Caesarea. Remember, I said those are two different guys. Okay, so this guy here, Eusebius of Nico Nicomedia, he was the bishop, the bishop who embodied the Arian cause of the teachings of Arius within not only this council, but um, he took this this mantle on after this council as well as what we'll see. You might think, well, why wasn't Arius there? Well, Arius was not a bishop, and you had to be a bishop to be able to sit in on this meeting and especially to vote. So Arius, although he influenced these bishops, um, it had the leader had to be this Eusebius because he was a bishop, so he kind of took the mantle, which says something about the um, the arguments that Arius had made that those who were actually higher than him in the church hierarchy believed them, and not only believed them, but uh, took them in, took them further and put their reputation on the line. Now it's interesting because this group, you would, you know, if you if you think about the Council of Nicaea, it almost seems like there's half the group is uh, people who are they believe in the Arian, they, they follow Arius, they believe that Jesus was made, that he is first of creation, and then there's this other huge group that is uh, um, this group is is you know he is one with the Father, and these two groups are just kind of go after each other. But really, what was interesting was there was just a small group of bishops that were very passionate about the issue of that Arius brings up that says the wording in our creeds needs to say that Jesus was the first among creation, that he was created. And there's another small group, a little bit larger, but still small group that said, no, this needs to be condemned. This teaching needs to be condemned. God, Jesus is at one with the Father. And here's what's interesting. There is about, let's say... Um, let's say 80%, let's say it was 10 on one end, 10 on one end, like 80% of the rest of the bishops, they didn't really care that much. They just wanted there to be um, some conclusion to this. So what is something we can agree on? So they didn't really have passion one way or the other, although they were going to listen to the arguments as 
as they came up. So we talked about Eusebius is the one who's going to go take to the, the fore and he's going to give his arguments for um, the Arian cause. And not surprisingly, Alexander, who was the original, Alexander of Alexandria, who was the original one that looked on Arius and said, you're wrong. Jesus is, the, is of the same substance of God. Um, he, was, he, he was the bishop on the floor that, uh, that made sure things were heard that so that people knew that this this could actually extremely damage um the way that we look at jesus but even though there were those on the ends and the the ones in the middle that seemed like they didn't really care there was this moment that changed a lot there's this moment that happens in the council that changed a lot and ironically this moment is brought on by eusebius and Eusebius, he begins to just elaborate on his own views, which were also those of Arius. And when the bishops heard the explanation, their reaction was the opposite of what Eubius, Eusebius th thought was going to happen. Because remember, he was looking at things thinking politically, you know, I kind of have this big section. This, there's 10% of us that believe this or 10% of us believe that. There's this whole 80% per, that are, they can just be, you know, if I give a, a, an argument the right way, then I could win over that whole group. But it's not what he expected. Um, in fact, the assertion that the word of the sun was no more than a creature, no matter how high a creature this made the bishops crazy. They started yelling blasphemy and you lie, heresy, get him. You know, they start, and Eusebius is shut down. And what we see is at this moment, things start to turn. And for, for whatever reason, remember I said to you, as the fight gets going, Constantine actually steps in. And Constantine steps in and he suggests a word. He suggests a word, Latin word. And the word was homo usius. And this word, homo usius, was the word that helped the bishops kind of say, okay, what, how can we encapsulate this? And it's, it's, it's kind of interesting it, that he was the one that brings this to the forefront. There are uh, there are uh, historians that say, well, it actually wasn't him. Someone was in his ear. Um, there was others that say, you know, this isn't, you know, whatever. But what we see is that he was the one that brought this. And the homoousius says this, that, that God, the Father, and the Son are made from the same substance. So it's a word that helped them say that they are made from the same substance. They, Jesus is not created. They're made from the same substance. So what they do is they reject Arminianism by writing this portion of a creed that will eventually, they'll add some things, take some things away, and it will be the Nicene Creed. And I'm going to read it for you. It's kind of long, but I'll just read it for you. It says, We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the only begotten of the Father, that is, from the substance, homoousius, of the Father, God of God, light of light, true God of true God, begotten, not made, of one substance, homoousius, come on, hear it, <laughs> with the Father, through whom all things were made, 
both in heaven and on earth, for who, who for us humans and for our salvation descended and became incarnate, becoming human, suffered and rose again on the third day, ascended to the heavens, they're talking about Jesus here, of course, and will come to judge the living and the dead and in the Holy Spirit. But those who say that there was when he was not and that there before being begotten he was not or that he came from that which is not or that the Son of God is of different substance or essence or that he is created or immutable, these the Catholic Church anathematizes. These the Catholic Church says, nope. This is not what we're going to be about. So they make this creed, and this creed uh, um, clearly pushes back the views of Arius. So there they were. They had made their decision. The council had come together and said that homoousius of one substance, the Heavenly Father, the Son, they were of one substance, the Arian idea that Jesus was created, that he was the first of creation, no matter how high of creation, he was not created, he was God, that was cast out, and then then Augustine, then Constantine comes to the forefront and delivers the blow, and he says, if you do not sign this creed, you will be banished, banished from everything from your relationship to the empire, to the relationship to your church, to your income, you'll be banished. So you will sign this if you are a bishop and you are here, or you'll be banished. Now, um, some, to their credit, I guess, to their bravery, some Arians did not sign on the dotted line, and they were banished, um, amongst which were Eusebius, the, the champion who um, really botched the argument, apparently, that got everybody upset. He, uh, he was no longer allowed to be a part of, of things. Um, Arius was also banned, even though he was not at the table because he wasn't a bishop. They still, said, they still said, you know, obviously you're out. And there were a few other bishops that they said, you're not, you're, you've been banished. And it seems like it would end right there. And this is where when I t- want to tell the very end of this story. Um, I, it's, it's, it's important to me that you know this. I'm not making a point that um, how this story ends is how it should be. I'm making a point that when you're thinking about theological things and theological um, you know, theological um, ideas and theological kind of point of views. Um, sometimes it has to go through the ringer multiple times because we're human. We're human beings, and it's hard to kind of like get our mind completely wrapped around what happened. And sometimes when it comes to the church, um, things are just not tied up in a bow like you think they probably should. Like this is how it should go. It should go. There is a guy named Arius who lived in a town called Alexander, Alexandria, and Alexander of Alexandria. Um, he, they disagreed. Uh, Arius said that Jesus was created. Uh, Alexander said, no, he wasn't. Uh, they call a council. They discuss it. They decide, you know what? Jesus was not created. He is God. Um, and those of you who think that he w- was creator, first creation, first of creation, then you are banished. And then we put out a creed and this is how we do it. And this is now Christendom. Well, it's, it's, it's so much more complicated than that. In fact, it's, it's even more complicated than the end of the story that I'm going to tell you. But So what happens is, uh, uh, you know, every, things start just, they all go back to their areas. And Eusebius, who's been banished from the church, shows himself to be a pretty interesting, intriguing, and conniving 
individual politician. Now, what we have historically, which is just in craziness that, that this even is a thing, but it coincidences, maybe this is how it is. Um, Eusebius was related to Constantine distantly. Now, we don't know if Constantine at the time of the um, Emperor Constantine at the time of the Council of Nicaea knew this, but we do know he does learn this after the Council of Nicaea. And Eusebius uses this relationship to get ever closer to Constantine, whether it be through this person, tell this person, kind of play telephone down to the, the emperor, to the point where he is communicating with Constantine, telling him, giving him his case. So, I mean, th think about this. So, so the guy that was the leader of those who were banished by Constantine because everyone thought they were off, they, they, they didn't believe the right thing, that leader has somehow made his way into the emperor's court with one-on-ones, putting his case up, his case for Arianism. He hasn't changed at all. He just, the same thing he was talking about on the floor at the Council of Nicaea, he is now presenting this to the emperor. And the emperor, instead of saying, you know what, uh, I don't have to listen to this. He listens to him, and he listens to him. Little by little, Constantine makes decisions. For example, he starts to bring those back who he had banished, and they don't need to recant. Just come on back. One by one, bishop by bishop, Eusebius is brought back into the good graces of the emperor. Even Arius, this is interesting, he tells, so Constantine tells the bishop of Constantinople. So the bishop of Constantinople was a bishop like the other bishops, that role of like head pastor of this, the, the church of that city. He tells him, I'm commanding you to bring Arius back into the church. Whoa. Did you see that coming? Constantine said, I want you to bring Arius back into the church. And actually, it's very interesting because who knows what exactly would have happened. There was some delay on the part of the Bishop of Constantinople on whether or not to allow that to happen. And we know for sure if he would have said no, it, would have, it could have sparked off another type of persecution. At least Constantine would have had that bishop's head. But... Well, the, the bishop of Constantinople is deciding what he should do, what the right thing to do is. Arius actually dies. So um, literally, uh, the bishop of Constantinople kind of uh, dodges, dodges a bullet on that one. So this continues until... So now you have this, this whole group of bishops, and it's growing now is of bishops that believe that Jesus is created, and they're let back into the church. And even history tells us that even when Constantine was baptized before his death, he was baptized by an Arian bishop. He was baptized by an Arian bishop. And that bishop was, drumroll please, Eusebius.
So wow, did he, did he climb that ladder? Now, this goes on. This goes on for the reign of his three sons. After Constantine dies, the emperor empire is broken down into three pieces. Not equal pieces, but three pieces as three sons take over. Um, this kind of still goes on. And then after they um, are gone, the next emperor is named Julian. Julian is called, historically, is called Julian the Apostate. The reason for that is Julian is not cool with any of this Christian stuff. He tries to take the empire back to its pagan rituals. Um, so even the idea that Constantine made the empire um, Christian forever, that's not at all true. It lasted one generation after him. And then it did come back, but Julian the Apostate was not friendly to Christians. And when you look at that story, I think there's one way, I mean, when I look at it, I think to myself, you know, God's hand is is to be is on this stuff. How in the world is it that there was this council and all this stuff that we like? We know the name. Like a lot of people aren't even into church history. They know the idea of this council, um, and somehow the losers, literally the losers, the main loser, Eusebius of this council, ends up giving the last rites to the emperor and welcoming his bishops that believe that Jesus was created and not of the same substance as God back into the empire. It seems like, well, God, what were you doing? Where were you? Where was the God? If you're not a Christian, you're, you're saying this is just another example of, uh, of people just, it just, it, it never works. People, they can't get their stuff together. But I do want to tell you about, um, I do, do want to tell you about a guy that um, so Alexander, the main Alexander back of Alexandria, died in 328 and was succeeded by Athanasius. Now, Athanasius had been present at the Council of Nicaea as a deacon because, again, kind of like Arius, he couldn't sit at the big boy table, but, but he was a deacon and he was there. Athanasius takes on the cause He's called the champion of the Nicene cause. He is the voice that is strong, that even though it seems like there's this tidal wave of bishops that are just like theologically, they're just embracing this thing that is not right. They're just embracing this more and more bishops. It, it literally was like a wave that was going over the empire. And, and one had to wonder, man, if, 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 Jesus, if this would have continued to happen, Jesus would have been seen historically as... Um, not God, but created. And, and that makes incredibly, it's, it's incredible, incredible difference for Christians and what they believe. But it's, it's almost like this, though, God, just like he does in the Bible, he calls one person, this Athanasius guy, this Athanasius guy almost single-handedly becomes the champion for the fact that Jesus is as one substance as God. He taught, he preached, and he taught, and he preached, the declarations by the Council of Nicaea, the Nicene Creed. And because of that, a light, a light just stayed on, just stayed on. And then historically, it's interesting because after the three three brothers of Constantine, after they go and Julian the Apostate's there, after Julian the Apostate's there, it's like the waters recede. And this doctrine that had been championed by Athanasius that Jesus and God are of one substance began to push back, and that was 
what the church embraced. That's a very interesting, interesting story. And I tell you what, um, I think it's an interesting story. You don't know which way it's going to go, all that kind of stuff. But it's also interesting because we can look at that and say that time is important. Time is important. And no matter what you think about history, whether you think it's boring or whatever you think it is, time is important. And that's why it's important to look at history, whether it's theological truths or, or things that are taking place or, or, or just not even, uh, not even church history, but just uh, history in general. Sometimes if we just take a small snapshot, for example, if we just looked at that Nicene Council, we would say, oh, the, the Nicene guys won. The Nicene Council guys won of one substance. Those guys won. And if we take a small sample of what happens directly after that, we would say, Eusebius basically lured Constantine, and now Eusebius won. And then we take another snapshot, and we see that the bishops are, you know, just falling over themselves to be Arian. And say, Eusebius, Arius, Jesus being created, they won. And then you take another piece, and you say, here's Athanasius. He's teaching this. He's teaching that. Jesus and God were of one substance. Maybe they're winning. So the best way to look at history in general is to look at the whole picture together. The ebbs and flows, like I mentioned earlier. So this is an incredible story. Um, I would love to get more into Julian and just the headache of the three brothers that take over from Constantine. One, I would give you two thoughts to be done. The first thought is this. Um, Look at history as a timeline and stand back as far as you can. Look at history as a timeline and stand back as far as you can. Number two, I would say this. Anytime you mix church and state, there's bound to be confusion. Anytime, anytime you combine church and state, there's bound to be confusion. All right, until next time.